Halfway through my time in seminary, I was given the opportunity to go to the north to get an experience of what ministry looked like up in the Yukon Territory, in the Diocese of Whitehorse. And the contact to make all this happen was the Bishop of Whitehorse. And so we had exchanged a sum total of two emails prior to me going, and the last email that I had gotten from him, which was about a month and a half, two months prior to me leaving, and I had emailed him back and he did not email me back, was saying, go to Fort Nelson, maybe you'll do this, you might do that, we'll see when you get here. So it was a big deal for me, and you don't know this about me already, I'm a planner. And so driving to Fort Nelson in itself was kind of a big deal. I'd never driven more than four and a half hours by myself in a car. So I had my car, and I had my spits, and I had my coffee, and I had my books on tape, and I was ready to drive the ten and a half hours that it was going to take to get to Fort Nelson. And I made it, and I didn't fall asleep on the road. It was great. I get to Fort Nelson, and I meet the priest that's there, and I'm starting to want to get to know him, because in my mind, according to the last email, it's going to be a couple of weeks together doing things for and with him. And so I'm trying to get a sense of what things are going to look like because I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. And as we're talking, I start to get the impression we're not spending any time together. He expects me to keep moving. And he tells me, oh yeah, the bishop's expecting you in Whitehorse tomorrow. Oh? You mean I got to drive another nine and a half hours tomorrow after just successfully completing my longest road trip ever? And so then we try to call the bishop to find out more. And so we had a phone number for his office and his cell phone number. He's never in his office and he doesn't have a secretary. And turns out he only takes his cell phone with him when he leaves the Yukon Territory and never turns it on when he's there. So we couldn't get a hold of the bishop, so I didn't know where I was supposed to meet him and what was going to happen, so I get in the car the next day and I drive the nine and a half hours. Most beautiful drive ever, if you want to attempt to go to Whitehorse. And I get there and I just go to his office and I'm hoping and praying that he's there, because if he's not there, I got nowhere to sleep that night. Thanks be to God, he's there. Still don't know what I'm doing. And I spend the next two weeks just following him around, and then one morning he wakes up, yeah, tomorrow you're going to go back to Fort Nelson and spend time with Father Roger and help him out. So then I go back and go spend time in Fort Nelson when two weeks later I'm back in Whitehorse. Yeah, I think you're going to be an assistant director at our kids' camp this summer, so that's what you're going to do for the next month. And I did that. It was a great experience for me of the unknown and of letting go of control. Today in the Gospel, John the Baptist has his own disciples. That's where it starts. And he sees Jesus walk by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples leave to follow Jesus. And these are the first words that come from the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And he says, What are you looking for? Their answer is, Where are you staying? Where we, can we come be with you like we were with John, hang out with you, and get to know what you have to teach? Because John thinks it's really important. And then Jesus gives us one of those annoying answers. Come and see. There's no plan. There's no details. It's not, I live here, come and stay with me, I've got an extra bed for you. It's just, come and see. That is the invitation to the Christian life.
that the invitation is always to come to know Jesus and not a prescription of morality. That it's all, always about coming to be in relationship with Christ and not about following some ideas. Jesus does this time and time again when he calls people to follow him. He doesn't tell them what is going to happen. The most that he tells them is, I'm, you're going to be fishers of men. What does that even mean? He calls them to be with him. That's the invitation of the Christian life. And this word, come and see, we use it all the time when it comes to somebody deciding if they should be a religious, a nun, a sister, a monk, a brother, or a priest. The time that you go into the seminary, to the monastery, to kind of check it out, we always call it a come and see, a come and see weekend, where you go and you just, I have no idea what I'm getting into, but something tells me I should be here, because it's the unknown. It's what we can't control, but it's the invitation the Christian life offers us. So then my question is, why is prayer so hard? If you don't struggle with prayer, please come and talk to me and teach me. Because prayer is a challenge for all of us. But why is it such a challenge? I think there's lots of different reasons, but I think the primary reason that prayer is a challenge is because it's not just something that I do, but it's an invitation to come to know Jesus. As we hear with Samuel in the first reading, it says that he's sleeping by the ark. The ark of the covenant would be the equivalent of the tabernacle for us. He's sleeping there beside the presence of God. And yet when God speaks, he doesn't know that it's God because it tells us in the reading, Samuel did not yet know God. He had to come to know God through countless nights of prayer besides God beside God's presence. Why is prayer so hard? You've probably all heard before that survey says people are more afraid of public speaking than they are death. Why are people more afraid of public speaking than death? It's because in publicly speaking, you are vulnerable. You can be seen and you can be judged. And that's terrifying for most of us, myself included, even though I public speak all the time. The idea of being seen, of being known by someone else in the beginning is always a terrifying idea, which is why public speaking is so terrifying, and which is why prayer is such a challenge. Because to really enter into the silence of prayer is to be willing to let ourselves be seen by God. Because when Jesus calls Peter, what does it say in our reading today? It says, Simon was brought to Jesus by Andrew, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you are to be called Cephas. It was the look of Jesus on Peter that changed his mind, that made him want to follow. This idea of being seen, of being exposed, is not a comfortable prospect. And prayer is not just something that we do. 
If it was, it would just be a habit. I do it or I don't do it. I eat good food or I don't eat good food. I exercise or I don't exercise. I read or I watch TV. It would just be a discipline. And we would either do it or we wouldn't do it. But being drawn into a life of prayer, a life of prayer that sustains our Christian life, is an invitation to come and see. It's an invitation to the unknown, to something that we don't control. And that is a daunting prospect. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the challenge that comes with prayer, paired with the desire of wanting to pray more deeply? Because do I know Jesus? Do I let him know me? Does that sound like an odd question to you because you've never even thought about it that way? Maybe, but that's the invitation. So the first thing is, when you are prompted to pray in some way or another, I should pray. The first thing to do is just acknowledge the reality. What's my reality? I'm busy. I've got a lot of things going on. I don't know when I'm going to pray. Or my mind always races, and so praying's hard to do. Or whatever else. What is the reality of the question, I should pray today? Then, be honest with yourself. You might think you should pray, but do you want to pray? There's a difference between thinking I should pray and actually wanting to pray. There's a great prayer that you can pray. God, I desire to desire to pray. That's where we can start. I just desire the desire to be with you in prayer. Because I don't yet desire to be with you in prayer. But I desire to desire. Is that confusing enough? Start by being honest with where you're at. Don't kind of whip yourself or demand yourself to be still and silent in prayer because that's what I should do. But know why. Are you acknowledging the invitation to come and see? Then engage with that uncertainty. Why don't I desire it? If I believe in God and I know the Christian life to be true and that there are good things that come from this, why do I resist it so much? Why don't I just fully give myself over to come and see? To give up everything like the disciples do to follow Christ? What is it in me that doesn't want to do that? And then evaluate and try again. Because just like Samuel, who had to learn to know God, it's a lifelong process. Because coming to be with God in prayer is kind of like going from dating to being married for a number of years. Dating is always a scary prospect at the beginning. Why? Because this person is judging me. Do they want to be with me? What do they think about how I look or how I speak or what I think? It's always a kind of anxious experience. Once you've been married for a number of years, you can probably, I would hope, just be with each other. You don't even necessarily have to talk because you're just content with each other. Same with a good friend that you've had for a number of years, right? 
That's where God wants to bring us in prayer. But if we won't even date God, how are we going to get to that point? The invitation is to come and see, which is always an invitation to come to know Jesus, which is the biggest reason that prayer is a challenge. But know that it is for all of us. And know who is inviting us to that. To not be overwhelmed by what it might mean to be seen even more profoundly than any other person in your life, but to know that it's the merciful Savior who awaits you there.